Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, the markets went on a roller coaster ride today. The stock markets, the currency markets, precious metals markets. It seems like the oil market and the Russian market are at the epicenter of the chaos. But I think people are missing the forest for the trees here. I don't think this is simply about oil or simply about Russia. I think there's a much broader uh, meaning to what's going on. And too many people are whistling past this graveyard when they want to dismiss all this as, as, as being not a problem for the United States or, hey, this is all a blessing. It's all about cheap oil and a boom for the U.S. consumer. As I've been saying, I think a lot more is going on. Right? It's not about the oil price going down and how that might affect Russia, a major exporter of, of oil. The key is, why is the oil price dropping? And it's not because there's such a huge glut of oil on the market right now based on all the fracking. I mean, I pointed out in a commentary that I just put up on the website that the addition to global supply that resulted from North America fracking is relatively minimal. I mean, it made a big difference domestically, but on the global scheme of things, it's not that significant. What's more significant is the market anticipating a big drop in demand due to global recession, which would include the United States. Everybody is so optimistic about the U.S., but I think the crude market is telling us that the U.S. economy is going to be much weaker than is generally perceived by the consensus. And again, it's also about the winding down of quantitative easing. It's not just oil that was floating on a sea of liquidity. The Fed's quantitative easing propped up all sorts of prices, some that they took credit for, like stocks and real estate, and others that they didn't want to accept responsibility for, like oil. But if the Fed really is ending QE and about to raise rates, then all the markets that they helped propped up are going to come down. Oil is just the first one. Stock market is coming down, not because of oil, but for the same reason. 
and the real estate market will be coming down. This whole phony U.S. recovery will be imploding. That is what the oil market is telling us. Not that, oh, it's going to be a boom for consumers. Look, it was a good thing for consumers in 2008 when oil prices went from $150 a barrel all the way down to 32 That was a bigger boom than what's happening now. But it didn't stop the recession. It didn't stop the financial crisis. It might have eased the pain, right? One of the benefits of the recession was that we got cheaper gas. Well, maybe that will be one of the benefits of this coming recession, except I think the Fed is going to be more preemptive. I think they're going to launch QE4 a lot quicker than they launched QE1. I don't think they're going to get to that point, right? I think that they are going to be... uh, quick on the on the QE tri- uh, trigger. They're not going to be reluctant to use the bazooka. They're going to come out uh, with their guns blazing. Now, they may not indicate that tomorrow when we get the uh, results of their most recent meeting and their press conference. We'll see, and we'll see if they express any concern uh, about what's going on and if they tip their hat as to maybe they're not going to be raising interest rates uh, anytime soon. But we'll see. But in the meantime, the real economic data continues to point to a weakening economy. You know, the markets, let me start off by just talking about some of the volatility. So the Dow Jones opened down about 100 points early on. Right? The Dow was down based on uh, Russia, the ruble being down. Um, and overnight, Russia had to raise their lending rate in order to make the ruble more attractive. And of course, so far it's not working, but they raised their interest rate from about 10% to 17% overnight. It was like two o'clock in the morning. They raised interest rates to 17%. Now think about this for a minute, because the Russian economy, while in trouble with 17% interest rates, is not imploding. I mean, yes, they're going through a crisis, but can you imagine how much greater the crisis would be if the Federal Reserve had to raise interest rates to 17% because the dollar was collapsing? Could you imagine? I mean, we couldn't even raise them to 7%. Hell, we can't even raise them above zero. That's how big this problem is. So if Americans are smugly looking at the Russian uh, currency crisis, you know, there but for the grace of God go I, or not even that, because this is really a dress rehearsal for what is going to happen to the U.S. market. This is really maybe a dress rehearsal or a precursor to what is going to happen in the United States. We're going to have a dollar crisis of a much bigger scale than the ruble crisis. And of course, we don't have all these foreign exchange reserves. We don't have the ability to raise interest rates like Russia is doing because we have too much debt. We have way more debt than the Russians have. So sure, you know, we can laugh and think, oh, look what's happening in Russia. Everything's great in the United States. But believe me, our currency crisis is going to be far worse than the ones the Russians are, are going through right now. But in any event, because of all this turmoil, the U.S. stock market opened down about 100 points. And the dollar was down. And in fact, for all the talk about how weak the, the ruble is against the dollar, it's been much weaker against the euro and the yen, which have been rallying sharply over the last couple of days against the dollar, which means they're rallying even more against, uh, against uh, um, the ruble than the dollar is. But then there was a big rise in the market. And the Dow went from down 100 to up almost 250, a 350-point rally on nothing. Maybe some speculation that they were halting ruble trading. I'm not even sure what the catalyst was. But 
the market rallied. And then by the close, it rolled over and we closed down about 111 points. So we went a round trip. We went 350 points up and then 350 points right back down to close on the lows of the day. The low trades of the day were on the low. The Nasdaq was down better than 50 points. The dollar closed off its lows against the euro and the yen, but close to, in the vicinity of the lows, I mean, closer to the lows and the highs. In fact, the dollar was down across the board today, even against the Canadian dollar, it was down, which the Canadian dollar had been getting beaten up on the wheat crude prices. So the dollar was down uh, against even Canada today. But the, the bigger moves are in the euro and the Japanese yen, also against the pound sterling uh, the, the dollar was down. That currency is getting close to breaking out. In fact, the euro looks like it's really about to turn around, and there could be a much bigger rally coming in the yen. So it's not just the ruble going down right now. It is the dollar. Gold had one of the biggest roller coaster rides I've seen. Gold was clobbered yesterday. It was down about $30. And I don't know what the news was. I mean, gold should have rallied yesterday, but I think a lot of people jumped on it and a lot of shorts pressed the market. And so gold was down about 30 bucks. This morning, before the open, gold was up $30. It had recouped everything it lost. And then when the U.S. stock market started that 250-point rally, gold reversed. I mean, at the time it started, it had already surrendered about a third of its gains. So it was up maybe 20 bucks. Uh, but... When the U.S. stock market had that big rally, gold sold off. It actually got negative, and then by the end of the day, it was up a few dollars. Uh, but it had a big roller coaster ride. We're still just below 1200 bucks, but I think gold is, again, getting ready for a big move up, an explosive move up. I think a lot of shorts are still piling into this market. They still think the price of gold is going to go down, but I believe that trade is going to end very badly for the shorts, and I think when it reverses, it's going to be a spectacular reverse, and I think the rally is going to take no prisoners. And I'm not going to lose any sleep over how much money the shorts are going to lose. Maybe they have it coming. Uh, but, you know, uh, they clearly do not understand the, the dynamics. That is why they're shorting uh, gold or silver in the first place. But this volatility, and I mentioned this earlier in an earlier podcast, this volatility to me is the type of action that you see when you're changing trends, which I think we're doing, changing the trend in the U.S. stock market from up, changing the trend in the U.S. dollar from up, changing the trend in precious metals from down. I think all this is, is going on in the markets. But listen to some of the economic news that came out over the last couple of days. It kind of got lost in the shuffle. All of it bad. Right? Yesterday, we got the Empire State Manufacturing Survey. And they were looking for a rise of 12.4. Instead, it came in at minus 3.8, I mean, minus 3.58, rather. But that was the first drop since uh, January. And remember, what was happening in January, right? January was the middle of the polar vortex. So we don't have lots of snow going on right now. What's the excuse this time for a, th three, a, a minus 3.58 in Empire State Manufacturing? Because it certainly isn't the snow. All right, so that's slowing down. Two more numbers that came out today. That was yesterday. Today, we got the December manufacturing flash, P flash PMI. Now, that index had been down three months in a row. Everybody was looking for it to go up. The expectation was 55.5. Instead, we went down again for the fourth consecutive month. 
53.7. Again, the lowest number since January of this year, since the polar vortex. And again, four consecutive months in a row. And in fact, this was the biggest beat against expectations, meaning below what they were looking for ever, ever. Right? Again, everybody is optimistic about a turnaround, yet the data doesn't support that. Also, we got the housing starts out today and permits. Housing starts dropped 1.6%. They were expected to rise. Permits plunged by 5.2%. Again, this is the biggest drop in permits since January. Right? So all these data points are at the lowest levels since the recessionary quarter. Remember, the economy contracted in the first quarter, mainly because of the weakness in January and February. And now we have all these numbers that are as low as they were back then. But again, none of this stuff is even being talked about. You know, it's so crazy when they get like one little piece of good news. That's all they talk about, even if it's just superficially good. They'll talk about that. They don't scratch beneath the surface. But they ignore the overwhelming amount of bad news that comes out. It just, you know, it just washes right over. No one, no one even... No one even cares about it. So this news, again, shows that the economy is weakening, that it's heading back to recession. That's one of the reasons that the oil price is going down. But what the traders haven't gotten our arms around is that a recession in the U.S. means QE4, which means higher oil prices. See, lower oil prices are going to bring about higher oil prices in that the lower oil prices are part of the, you know, the onset of the recession. Of course, for other reasons, if prices go low enough, production will stop, and so supply will go down, and that will force prices back up. But by, before I think that has an opportunity to work, I think the Fed will come in and reverse the decline, just like they did in 2008. Why did oil prices stop falling in 2008 and surge? For the same reason that the stock market turned around and surged, the Fed. The Fed was in there protecting the markets, protecting the economy, and that's exactly what they're going to do again. They're not going to do QE because of oil prices, right? It's going to be because of stock prices, real estate prices. They're going to go down too, right? Now, the effect of the QE, I think, is going to be greater in the oil market. I think oil will have a better rise than the stock market when the Fed uh, announces QE, QE4. But I think the biggest ride is going to be in the gold market, I think that's going to be a rocket ship because everybody is expecting the reverse. Everybody is expecting the Fed to raise interest rates, not uh, do QE4. You know, one of the reasons, too, that the euro has been strong, apart from you know it being a, now a, a safer haven than the dollar, is that the Germans have been talking more about their opposition. They've been expressing their opposition to quantitative easing more openly. And of course, they should oppose QE because it's bad. And I'm sure the Swiss oppose it, especially since you know they, they went out on a limb and convinced their citizens to vote down the Save Our Swiss Gold initiative. They don't want to have to monetize all those euros if euro goes uh, you know, Japan or US and goes full on QE. But I was watching it on CNBC this morning, and here's Kramer. I can't say enough bad things about Germany right now. <laughs> I mean, they are just trying to balance that budget. I mean, I, you know, the great engineer, President Herbert Hoover, he was very concerned about that balanced budget during that 29 and 30. I think that he was early on worrying about the balanced budget. Right. There are historical mistakes being made. There are people on the wrong side of history. 
I see our country's always urging China to do more stimulus. Why don't we just pick up the phone and tell the Germans, stimulate right now. But no, we don't do that. Kramer is basically talking about how stupid the Germans are, how foolish the Germans are because they don't want to do QE, that they're so foolish that they just want to balance their budget. He compares them you know, to Hoover as if he actually understood what was going on during the Hoover administration. But, you know, he, he's so arrogant, right? He thinks that the United States, you know, we should be telling Germany what to do. Right? Germany is much more successful. Their economy is in much better shape right now than ours. Right. Look at their balance of trade. Uh, look at a lot of their uh, economic indicators. Uh, the German economy is on far more uh, sound f- footing than is the ours. Yet we're supposed to give them advice. And of course, the only advice we give them is to print a bunch of money. Right. I used to my, my joke was always like, you know, we're the F student and we're trying to give the A students advice on how to study. And, and what's our advice? You know, skip class and smoke pot. Right. Because that's probably what we did to get all of our Fs. And so now we're telling the Germans to do the same thing. But no, they're telling us, no, I'm going to crack the books because I don't want to get an F like you. I want to get an A. We've got an F when it comes to economics in the United States. It's just that so many people think that F stands for fabulous that they don't understand it. You know, another one who needs to get an F in economics that doesn't stand for fabulous is Mark Zandi, who I also happen to catch on CNBC today. And he was asked about his economic outlook for 2015. And I don't think I've ever heard him this bullish. Of course, he's always bullish. Uh, But I don't know if I've ever heard him this bullish. I'm optimistic. I mean, I think 2015 is going to be as good a year as we've gotten since the late 90s. The best best benchmark, Steve, is jobs. And I think this year we're going to create just under 3 million jobs. Next year we're going to create over 3 million jobs. That's going to reduce unemployment, underemployment by at least a percentage point of the labor force. I think by the end of the year... Certainly by early 2016, we'll be back to full employment. What so I, risks, I think it's going to be a very good year. What are the risks to this outlook, Mark? Well, we're observing one of those risks today. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, that very uh, significant optimism feels a little bit incongruous with the, today's events. Uh, so uh, most of the risk is uh, overseas. Uh, what's going on in the EM, the emerging markets, uh, uh, you know, what's going on with respect to China and the slowdown there. The other key risk, obviously, is interest rates. If, if I'm right, then this means uh, the Federal Reserve will begin raising rates my expectation is that they'll be able to gracefully mm-hmm. raise rates consistent with the improvement in the, in the labor market. Okay. But, uh, you know, obviously that's a risk. I mean, he's so absolutely positive it's going to be a great year for the U.S. economy. I mean, he's not really worried. If he's worried at all, it's maybe something could happen abroad to screw up this fantastic economy, but probably not because it's that great. Right. That's how optimistic he is. If I knew nothing else other than um, um, Zandi's optimism. Just based on that alone, you could probably forecast a recession for 2015 and you'd probably get it right. That's how reliable a contrary indicator this guy is. Of course, the other thing that's reliable is that the media will still bring him up as an expert and ask him his opinion no matter how much he's wrong. And they never bother to look at all the forecasts from the past to basically see that, you know, he's always just uh, bullish no matter what on the U.S. economy. And the times he's right, it's not because the U.S. economy is really getting better. It's because the bubble is inflating stuff and distorting the statistics. But he doesn't understand that. He, he, he can't tell a bubble from a recovery. That's why he's so confused about what's going on. Either that or he's, you know, he's got his, his own agenda. You know, another interesting observation about all of this, and I mentioned this earlier in a, uh, a podcast about Bitcoin and tax law selling, 
and maybe that's begun. But Bitcoin is down today about 5%. I mean, as I'm recording this, it's trading about 332. And, you know, if you remember back in 2013 when they had the crisis in Cyprus, uh, the banking crisis, the bail-ins, that was really something that helped put Bitcoin on the map. You know, that was responsible for a big jump in the price of Bitcoin as Cypriots were looking for alternatives uh, to their banking system. And so, uh, you know, other people jumped into the uh, into Bitcoin. Well, this Russian currency crisis, Russia is a far bigger economy than Cyprus. And there's got to be a lot of Russians out there who are worried about their ruble savings disintegrating. Why aren't Russians buying Bitcoins? Why aren't other people buying Bitcoins, speculating that Russians would buy Bitcoins? Yes, you know, Bitcoins uh, over the last, I guess, couple of weeks, maybe they're up against the ruble, but everything in the world is up against the ruble. The problem is they're down against just about every other currency, including the dollar. And, and so what this shows me is that Bitcoins have lost a lot of their appeal. The appeal they had a year and a half ago isn't there anymore. Right? This is not the safe haven. People are not looking at, at Bitcoin as a way to protect themselves from a, a local currency problem uh, because it, you know, it should be rising uh, and, it's, and it's falling. So I think that's another reason to be nervous if you're still holding Bitcoin. If you're not going to rally in an environment like this, when are you going to rally? And if Bitcoin can't rally on this news, uh, then it's only got one direction to go, and that's down. And you know, with the potential for tax loss selling between now and the end of the year, uh, that you know that means there's a lot of downside risk. <clears throat> you know, one thing I guess I guess I'm going to throw into this podcast is was so ridiculous. Chuck Schumer, you know, he's out there demanding a federal investigation. Right? We got all these problems in the world, or well, not the world, but let's say in the U.S. that Chuck Schumer can be worried about. Yet he wants to launch a federal investigation over the fact that airlines aren't lowering their prices on their tickets uh, based on uh, lower gas prices. A federal investigation, how much is that going to cost? And number one, I mean, does Chuck Schumer have any idea what goes on in an airline? First of all, most of these airlines are hedged. And so even though the price of oil has come down, they already hedged a higher price. They've already bought the fuel at higher prices. So if anything, the benefit for the airlines are going to come in the future assuming the oil price doesn't go back up. But, you know, there are other costs that airlines could be dealing with, like rising healthcare costs or diminished, uh, you know, uh, uh, demand from customers who have lost their jobs. You know, if you've flown on an airplane recently, if you're flying commercial planes, you'll notice that all the airlines now are full because they've canceled so many flights because the American public is too broke to fly. And what's the point of lowering your your, your, your fares if you're, if you're already selling out your seats. I mean, the object of the airlines is to try to maximize profits. I mean, they've lost so much money over the years. Their shareholders, uh, you know, should be entitled to making a profit every once in a while. But this guy demanding that they reduce their prices. I mean, what, what about other, other industries? I mean, a lot of times costs might go down. Are they, is Chuck Schumer going to beat up other industries demanding that they lower prices? Look, if, if Chuck Schumer is so concerned about what the airlines are charging, why doesn't he quit Congress and start his own airline and charge a lower price? If he thinks he could do a better job, these are businesses that are trying to survive in a, in a, in a, in a trying market. And there is a lot of competition. 
in that industry. There would be more if it wasn't for the government. And of course, one of the reasons that the costs are so high in the airline industry is because of all the regulations in the airline industry, because we've gone over the top in security thanks to 9-11, which you could probably also blame on the United States. Not because I think it was an inside job, right? I'm not a truther, but because I believe that our foreign policy, our interventionist foreign policy did a lot to produce that blowback that had we had a, a, a better foreign policy and made fewer enemies, that those events might not have happened. Not that I blame us, but I don't, but I, but I look at the policies that contributed to what happened. So, you know, Schumer ought to leave the airline industry alone. This is just, this is how these politicians grandstand for cheap votes. Yes, yes, I'm going to force these airlines to charge you lower prices. You know what? How about the government charging me a lower price? How about a tax cut? I'm not concerned about what American Airlines or Delta Airlines wants to charge me because really it's none of Schumer's business. But what I am concerned about is what my income tax rate is. How about lowering that? That's something that Chuck Schumer can do because the government takes a lot more of my money than the airlines. So how about cutting government spending so that you can give me a tax cut? Because that's something you can actually do instead of trying to beat up on a private company to reduce prices when the main reason that prices are so high is because all the government rules and regulations that are forcing them up. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.